Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 28. That's where we are today. We're in the last chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, today we come to the conclusion of this journey through the book of Acts. Here's the key concept of this morning. God knows what He's doing. Walk by faith and trust Him. That's what we see the Apostle Paul doing in our final chapter of the book of Acts today. It's the end of the book of Acts, but in a sense, it's the end of the beginning of church history. Because the story of, of the movement of the church that's described in the book of Acts is unfinished. And as a matter of fact, the book stops without really giving us the rest of the details of the story of the life of the Apostle Paul and his imprisonment that we're following here at the end of the book. In other words, Acts is a cliffhanger. How do you react to cliffhangers? How do you react when you're watching a program, say, on television, and all of a sudden you see the words, to be continued? I don't know about you, but that's not a happy thing for me. Oh, no, to be continued. And it seems like cliffhangers are in fashion these days. More and more television programs at the end of the season, they make it to be continued, hoping that you're going to tune in next season and pick up the story. But most of us, I think, like resolution, don't we? We, we like the loose ends to be tied up. We, we like the, to come together in the time that allowed, that's allowed so that I don't have to remember to tune in next season to get the rest of the story. But cliffhangers are a fact of life on television but also in real life. Real life isn't lived in one-hour little episodes where all the uh, problems are neatly solved before we come to a commercial break. Real life is filled with continuation. Real life is filled with delay. Real life takes time to work itself out, and there are surprises along the way. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul here at the end of the book of Acts. The book of Acts, in a sense, gets, gets us ready for the rest of church history. And what it tells us is there will be trials. There will be times when the going is tough, but God is faithful. Follow Him, and He'll surprise you along the way. That's just what God is doing here for the Apostle Paul. So let's pick up the reading. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 28. And I'd like to start the reading at the last sentence of verse 14, okay? Acts 28, 14. Luke writes, And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. We'll stop the reading there for a moment. Paul finally arrives at Rome. Now, this is the way his life has gone in the last few years. He was arrested in Jerusalem, A.D. 58. We saw that last week. He spent two years in prison, not in Jerusalem, but he was transferred to Caesarea, a port city, because there was uh, a, a assassination plot against him. So for two years, he faces trials, uh, legal trials before Gentile kings, before the leaders and those kinds of things in Caesarea. Then he's put on a boat in A.D. 60, and sent to Rome, it takes him a year to get from Caesarea in Israel to Rome. And during this journey, he encounters 
hurricane. He encountered shipwreck, snake bite, and finally, after many delays, he arrives at Rome in the year A.D. 61. Now, Paul doesn't realize it, but he will spend two more years here in Rome as a prisoner waiting to plead his case before uh, the emperor. A.D. 63, he's going to be released. He'll spend a few more years traveling and evangelizing, planting churches, checking up on the, the churches that he's already planted. But in A.D. 67, he's back in Rome as a prisoner again under the emperor Nero. And he dies as a martyr in that year as a part of Nero's persecution of the Christians. Now, the ship that has transported uh, uh, Paul to Rome here in our passage today uh, has taken port near Naples. And so Paul begins the journey to walk towards Rome down the Appian Way along with those in his party. And as he walks down the Appian Way, I'm sure he reflects on the years ago when he was in prison in Jerusalem when Jesus appeared to him. We saw it last week. Jesus appears to Paul. It's recorded in Acts 20.30 and he says, As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That was a clear-cut promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus keeps his promises. God has a plan for Paul, and God has a plan for you. And inside that plan is embedded promises, and Jesus keeps those promises. Paul has always wanted to go to Rome. He's expressed that before. He naturally gravitated in his ministry to the population centers of the day. And Jesus promises you're going to get there. But the promise doesn't come with all the information, does it? There's no mention of a ship voyage. There's no mention of shipwreck. There's not mention of the years of confinement in prison that he has to face, the trials that he will go through. But here in chapter 28, verse 16, as he's moving towards Rome and he's getting to Rome, Paul can say, Rome at last, I have arrived at this destination. You see, God has kept his promises. But he doesn't always give us all the information that it takes along the way. When he, Paul has been on a course to serve the Lord wherever it takes him all these years. And step by step, moment by moment, he has had to allow the will of God to unfold. And that's something that we need to see out of Paul's story here. God wants us to follow his plan. But he doesn't show us all the steps of that plan. He just shows us the next step. And when we say yes to that next step and step out believing that God has a purpose and a plan for us, that's what it means to walk by faith, one step at a time. But oftentimes we don't like that plan. Oftentimes we would rather have all the projections considered. We want the studies to be done. We want everything planned out and everything uh, indicated so that it's going to be favorable. And once we have this many-step process, then we say, okay, I'm ready to walk by faith. But that's not really what by faith means. By faith means is I only see the next step, but I'm going to say yes to it because God is leading me. And God whispers in our ear when we're doing that step-by-step -step faith journey. He says, let me surprise you because I have surprises for you along the way. And Paul saw that as well. 
This week we've been remembering 9-11. And as we remember 9-11, we, we recall the presidency of George W. Bush. I viewed the tape of him speaking at the uh, site of the Twin Towers wreckage just this past week. And I was reminded that Tony Snow was the press secretary for George W. Bush. And Tony Snow had a long battle with cancer. And over the course of his uh, battle with cancer, he gave many interviews. In one of those interviews, he was asked a, a very startling question. The interviewer asked him, what spiritual lessons have you learned in this battle with cancer that you're facing? And here's his reply. He said, we want lives of simple, predictable ease, smooth, even trails as far as the eye can see. But God likes to go off-road. And that's what the Apostle Paul has learned. God likes to go off-road. Let Him surprise you. And in the surprise, you will find His leading. So Paul makes his way down the Appian Way, this famous road, towards a destiny that he doesn't know. He doesn't exactly see what's coming. And I'm sure he was anxious. I'm sure there were butterflies in his stomach, you know, just this kind of nervousness of how is this going to go here in the center of the empire. But about 40 miles out, at a place called the Forum of Appius, which was a small market town, and then again 30 miles out at a place where the road forked, which was called the Three Taverns because there were what we might call rest stops there. At these locations, there were groups of Christians that were waiting for Paul. He has a reception committee as he travels that road to Rome. How did they know he was coming? We have no idea. How had they heard? There's no record of that. But the sight of them, it says, encouraged Paul's heart. God gave him gifts along that journey, and the gifts were the gift of people. God knows just what he's doing, and he knows just what Paul needed. And he encountered people who remembered him, who heard about him, who loved him. And they showed up and Paul was blessed. Let me pause for a moment and just say, that's the kind of people that God wants us to be. People who show up. People who sense. You know, maybe there's a need for encouragement there. Maybe there's uh, a sense of, 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 of fear there. And somebody needs to be picked up and just helped along. So I'm going to step out of my normal routine. I'm going to move out of what is the, the normal course of my life just to bless this person. They didn't have to be there. They didn't really change anything other than Paul's emotions. No one knows their name. There's no sense of them wanting credit. But here Paul is encouraged. They welcome him like a hero, even though he's a prisoner. They line the streets and they greet him. We don't even know how they came to know Christ in Rome. We, we don't, Paul never visited this city before. He didn't plant this church. The tradition that says that Peter planted the church in Rome is probably historically weak. But we do know this. We do know back in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that those who were listening to Peter's uh, evangelizing sermon at Pentecost, some of them were from Rome. So I imagine somebody saying yes to Jesus at Pentecost, returning to their city there in Rome, bringing the faith with them, telling others about Christ. And I imagine other people moving to the big city who were followers of Jesus and churches were born there and the faithful uh, started to come, come and worship together. 
And somehow they heard of God's plan to bring Paul there, and they came out and they welcomed him, even though discouragement is something that maybe he was struggling with. But they were on the spot. See, God had left a lot of the details out of the journey, but even as the surprises unfold along the way, Paul sees the hand of God's blessing. What he's heading towards is going to court. That's the intention. He had appealed to Caesar. And we see as we read the last few chapters of the book of Acts that Paul has used the courtroom as a preaching point many times in the past. Paul has gotten kind of skilled at using the courtroom as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice that last verse that we read, verse 16. It says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. In other words, Paul was treated with some leniency. He was given the opportunity to rent a home. In that home, he was able to operate his teaching ministry. He had visitors, and he dictated letters, and he engaged in his Bible study. And all the while, he was doing all that ministry in that rented home, kind of like a, 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 home, a home lockdown like many of us are in, all that time uh, there there is a guard who's watching over him. And they rotated their schedule, no doubt. And these guards heard the gospel message. They heard the prophecies that pointed to Jesus Christ. They heard Paul dictate the letters and, and, and show the people from scriptures the teaching of the gospel message. And so a strong witness was established in Rome. Paul could later say, the palace guards hear the gospel message. See, this is a strategic thing on the part of God. Because out on the streets of Rome, if he was just walking the streets and uh, preaching on the street corners like he did open air, he would be one voice among many in the big city, all clamoring to have their agendas listened to in the marketplace of ideas. But here, in this rented house, he is a single voice, a prisoner for the faith. Here, he is set apart, not just another nut job on the street having a point of view, but rather a faithful, thoughtful voice for a reasoned and joyful hope. And Paul's able to explain that over and over because he followed the will of the Lord. It strikes me that as we reflect on that, Paul's example of someone who simply took the next step and then the next step following by faith should show us that maybe the way that we pray needs to be altered somewhat. Maybe the way that we pray needs to change from being coming to God with a, a list of ideas, a list of requests, but rather something that sounds a lot more like just reporting for duty. God, what do you have for me? A prayer like, good morning, Lord. It's, it's me again reporting for duty. What's today going to be like? One man writes it this way. I have, I have to find my place in God's plans rather than make my own little plans and ask God to support them. So I pray, what have you got going on today, God? What are, we are all yours. What is my part in the drama? What, do you want me to, what part do you want me to play? Whatever you've got going on today, God, I want to be a part of it. Amen. That's a good prayer. And I think that was the spirit of Paul's prayer, ready to say yes to whatever God had for him. And what he had was the opportunity, even as a prisoner in Rome, to preach the gospel. And it was Paul's practice to first preach the gospel to his own people, 
to the Jews. And that's what we see him do. Let's continue our reading in verse 17. It says, Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people, but for this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am now bound with this chain. Verse 21, they replied, We've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, talking about Christianity. Now, here's a surprising fact. When Paul gets to Rome, even though the whole reason he's been imprisoned for these years is because of the accusation of the Jews, by the time he gets there, he recognizes that the Jews in Rome don't expect him. They've never heard of him. They're not already angry with him or defensive against him. They did not even know he was coming. But they are interested in learning about his point of view. They've heard about Christianity and how those in their circle, the circle of the, the Jews, speak against this sect. So Paul made a date for them to come back and, and so that he could teach them about the claims of Christ. Let's read on, verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Imagine that setting. The Apostle Paul opening the Hebrew Scriptures, which is our Old Testament, and from the Hebrew Scriptures, tracing forward the prophecies and the teachings that connected to the Messiah and showing how they connected to Jesus Christ. I heard a man once say that there are 300 prophecies or teaching points about the Messiah fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not sure that Paul covered them all, but it was a lengthy study, right? They, from morning till night, he was showing them from the Hebrew Scriptures how Jesus was the fulfillment of their hope, the fulfillment of everything that they were looking forward to. And some, it says, that were there hearing all of this their hearts were touched, and they believed, but others would not. Notice, it's not they could not. It is they would not. They chose not to believe. And it's one of the great mysteries as you look back over the events of the first century and the, and the early Christians in relationship to the Jews. How could the people of promise reject the fulfillment of the promise? How could they do that? How could they say no? Ray Stedman once commented on this passage and he said this, We resist anything that disturbs the tranquility of an accepted and commonly practiced tradition. We want to cling to the comfortable dead rags of the past. That's what they were doing. 
those who would not believe. They were clinging to the comfortable dead rags of the past. Now this illustration may be more for guys than for gals, but do you, do you have an old shirt at home? A shirt that's tattered and torn. You've had it forever. A shirt that is, you know, just comfortable and just love being home. Get in that shirt. I mean, you know, you put that shirt on and you come downstairs and your wife looks at you and says, you're not going outside with that shirt on, are you? But, but, for, but you love that shirt. Why? Because it's comfortable. It's easy to wear. It's familiar. That's fine with shirts. But that's not good with life. That's not good about the perspective of what God is doing. We need to be ready for the things that God is doing, that He's doing next, that He's doing new. But the, these Jewish leaders, they were not ready. They were not open. That's not the way I was raised, they were saying. That's not the, the, the message I've heard. That's not the way that we've done it before. Things are changing and we don't like change. These were the things that those who rejected the faith said to the Apostle Paul. And so they, they missed the truth. And God bypassed them as agents in the work of evangelism in that century. See, God was saying, listen, I want you to put on a new shirt, so to speak. I want you to change and put on this new shirt. But they wouldn't do it. And I believe that God has a plan for His chosen people. And I believe that there will come a day when they will wonderfully turn to Jesus as the true Messiah later in history. But for now, we see them bypassed in the plan and the work of God. Paul picks that up. He comments on that in verse 28. Look what he says. He says, Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. God wants those who will listen and not push away his truth. Well, Paul was in jail for two years in this imprisonment. Now, it might be easy for us to think that all of that was wasted time. But I want you to know that God doesn't waste time. And he's not wasting this time, this uncomfortable, unusual time. God is doing things right now that one day we're going to look back on. And we're going to be able to trace the journey, trace his hand in the journey, uncomfortable and as, as um, different as it is right now, because God doesn't waste time. And he doesn't waste Paul's time. In this particular uh, period of, of imprisonment, Paul writes the book of Ephesians. It's called the Bible within the Bible, a great theological book. Paul writes the book of Colossians. Uh, a book that focuses on the doctrine of Jesus Christ, teaching us that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He writes the book of Philemon, which is a pastoral letter caring about the emotions and the concerns of the people in the church. You see, God was working. For thousands of years, millions of people have been touched by those works. And there might be people back in Antioch, the, the city that sent Paul on his first missionary journey, asking a question by now, three years later, uh, from the, the Jerusalem imprisonment. And they might be asking, whatever happened to that guy named Saul? Remember him? Remember how he changed his name? And maybe somebody else would answer, well, I think he got into some legal trouble. Uh, I haven't heard from him in a long time. Or maybe back in Jerusalem, the, and the Jewish leaders there, some of them would be self-congratulating. Maybe they, they're, they're looking back at the shipping Paul off to prison and saying, well, we dodged a bullet there. It's a good thing we did. Can you imagine the trouble that would have been raised by that guy Paul? Good thing we put a stop to his nonsense. But in, ra in reality, the message was going out. The message was going stronger. 
in the Greek manuscript of the, the book of Acts, the very last word of the very last chapter is the word unhindered. Those of you who are reading the New American Standard Bible, it says this, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. That's a very close uh, a translation to the Greek. And I think that's a great and fitting end to the book, unhindered. Nothing can stop the plan of God going forward. Remember, Acts is a cliffhanger. The story is still going on. And if you know Christ as personal Savior, you are part of the story. You're part of what's continuing in that unhindered way. Well, for the Apostle Paul, our, our historians tell us that he was uh, released and then rearrested. And when that, when that next arrest happened, it wasn't in a house that he rented. It was in a dungeon. He couldn't hold meetings. He was all by himself. But he could write letters. And the very last letter that he writes from that dungeon before he dies is 2 Timothy in our Bible. And he writes this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, God's will is unhindered. God's kingdom is unhindered. The message is unhindered. The blessing for God's people is unhindered. For no matter what we face now, there is waiting for us a crown of righteousness. And in an unhindered way, we proclaim the Lord's glory. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that no matter what our circumstances, you are always able. We can look to you, trust you, and know that your will is unhindered. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be strong. Help us to make you the issue because, Jesus, it's really about you, your will, your work, and your way. We want that to happen. Help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray. The team is going to come and lead us in a closing song, so let's join together in worship.
Amen. No matter where you are, would you stand with me for the benediction? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I love that line in the song. My sin was great, but your love is greater. Thank you for your great love. We pray that we, as we represent you as your people, that what would be, we be about is love. May people see the love of Jesus in us, in the way that we live, the words that we say, the, the, the positions that we take. Lord, help it all to be about love and through love conquer those things that are before us. Dismiss us now with your blessing and use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in or coming by. We'll see you next week.